Welcome one and all to a new episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is my friend Jeffrey Muller, aka the Mighty Jerd. He's a good friend of mine uh, over the internet who does all sorts of fantastic things in the fitness and geek related world, as well as some acting and voice acting on the side. We had no main topic here, so we were kind of just all over the place, kind of talking about RPGs and his history within the things we like about our games. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Welcome, one and all, to a new episode of My RPG Podcast. I'm here today with Jeff Muller. Jeff, will you please introduce yourself? I am Jeff Muller, just like uh, Don said. So, yeah, here I am. Hi, nice to meet you guys. Yes, Jeff is a person who does things and speaks words when he <laughs> opens his mouth. But no, Jeff is actually a really good friend of mine, uh, internet friend from I, four, five, six. I don't know how long it's been, Jeff. I think about five or six years, yeah. Yeah, and and he's also one of these guys who, uh, not to pick on Jeff for a second, I kind of look up to and aspire and want to become when I get get to be an adult, uh, you know, when I actually grow up one of these days, um, because of like his cool nerdy interests and his general uh, go get it attitude, where he really puts in the work and he accomplishes what he wants, be it acting, be it voice acting, be it personal fitness, tournament, jujitsu, um, vlogging, uh, taking like uh, this guy is a renaissance geek if ever one exists. Renaissance geek. I like that. I'm stealing that. That is going to be my new Twitter bio. Thank you. Yeah, I I, I think nowadays and like especially the way with uh, a lot of the quote unquote kind of geek idols, which some are being broken, uh, a lot of them are not just one thing. They have to kind of encompass, you know, either producer, writer, actor, director, like they have to kind of do everything now to stay relevant. And you're one of these guys who I think is right up there. You have all those skills and you have the same um, attitude as well. But aside from me praising you, one of the things we also share between the two of us is a love for RPGs. A love, I think, that goes yeah. far longer for you than for me. So just get me to the beginning. How oh, did Jesus you get into Christ. RPGs? Oh, my God. Really? We're going we're gonna to do this? Okay. Uh, so the year <laughs> was 1979. Uh, I was I, – I, every year we signed up for the local community pool, and I spent pretty much every day there. I was on the swim team, the diving team. I just loved being outdoors and in the water. And really where my family lived, that was the only place to go and hang out. Uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, so we would just go all the time. Our pool was notorious for copious amounts of adult swims, though. So the kids had to find something to do. So I would go and I would sit in this pavilion where they had the snack bar and everything else and picnic tables set up. And one day there was this group of older kids and they had these dice and these books and they were doing something that looked super engrossed in it. And I, and, and, and I wandered over, my, my, uh, my seven-year-old self wandered over and was fascinated. And I watched and watched and watched for a day. And then the next day I went back and they were doing it again. And I, don't, I can't quite remember, uh, but you know, the second or third day they asked if I wanted to play. And I, I didn't know what it was. And they, they in their best 10-year-old way, explained Dungeons & Dragons first edition to me. Um, it was the, 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 the red box, you know, the, the basic edition. And, and I rolled up a character and they kind of talked me through it. And, and I was hooked ever since. I, I, I thought it was fantastic. Well, wasn't that, since you're at the very beginning, was that around the time of the Satanic Scare or did that come later? 
That actually came a little later. So I was playing the game for a couple years before the Satanic Panic. Um, luckily, my, while my folks were very overprotective of me, they also didn't buy too much into it. You know, they, they were concerned that they didn't want me spending too much time on the game. But they weren't too worried about, you know, silly Tom Hanks movies and getting lost in the sewers while worshipping Satan or anything like that, luckily. No, fortunately, you'll find other ways to do that. But so so you started at a very young age. And what type of games were you guys like running? Was I mean, I'm assuming at a young age, you're very hack and slash. You get the loot, kill the oh, monster. Yeah, there, there was absolutely no rhyme or reason to it. It was it was 100 percent chaos all the time. Uh, it was pure Monty Hall nonsense because we were kids and the guys running the game were kids. Um, we had no concept of what was really happening. I remember, I distinctly remember the silliest thing. So my first character, the one I rolled up that day, you know, so they gave me this list. I, it was, I, was a, I was playing an elf, and at the time, elf was a class. And I, and I was looking at the list of languages trying to come up with my character, and I was like, I, I don't know, I don't know. And they were showing me all these different monsters in a different book. I said, okay, I want to speak Sturge. And for those of you that don't know what a Sturge is, it's a giant flying like rat bird thing, like a giant mosquito of doom, uh, which has no language. It's just an animal. And I argued tooth and nail that I wanted to be able to speak Sturge. And they finally let me, no matter how ridiculous it was. I mean, that's the sort of stuff we were doing back then. Um occasionally someone would pick up a tournament module when they had money, you know, so against the giants or keep on the borderlands or God forbid, yes, we played Tomb of Horrors a couple times, you know, things like that. But there was no cohesiveness. They usually were one shots or, or runs that lasted for a month or a month or two at a time. Every time you were generating up a new character, um, I did not get sucked into the, for a while there was a, a a world where people had a character and they would take it from game to game to game to game, kind of like uh, Wizard of the Coast is doing now with Adventures League, where you yeah, take absolutely, your or Pathfinder, uh, uh, what do they call it? Pathfinder Society stuff? Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. So, I mean, there were people that were doing that back then. It just wasn't organized. I didn't run with those circles, so every time it was just generating new characters and and just enjoying in the craziness. Um, I don't think I actually got into a real campaign until somewhere in the second edition in, in the later 80s. Did you DM at any of those times early on where you were just one-shots and kind of lackadaisical? Uh, early on, I, ne I didn't try my hand at DMing until I was probably late teens or maybe even into my early, like 19 or 20-ish. Um, I pretty much just played in other people's games. Uh, I was a little afraid of DMing, to be honest with you. It looked overwhelming to me and I just wanted to play and not do the prep work uh, but I started DMing and I kind of really love DMing now but it took me a while to get there yeah I that's the common kind of fear or a common reason I find most people don't try DMing gymming when I think they should and like if I find in like in when either they're my player or I just know them to be a very like uh very smart or very intellectual who likes to do world building and stuff like that I'm like I there's this thing called RPGs, and you can world build, but then the people react, and like, I, and all I, the, the constant excuse I hear is, man, that, that sounds so intimidating, that sounds so daunting, and stuff like that, like, you have to do everything, and I'm like, yes and no, though, like, I think the biggest, I think that's the biggest turnoff for people, is the idea that the DM is kind of God, and everything, and should know all the rules, and all the stuff, do you feel the same way? 
I do. I think there's a there's an expectation uh, for new DMs to think you have to know all the rules and also that you're going to be responsible for everyone's fun at the table. That, that if for some reason someone has a bad session, that it's your fault. I think a lot of people feel that way, and that's not always the case. And I agree with you about the it's not always the case. But on the flip side, devil's advocate to my own argument, we have a lot more responsibility than any of the other players at the table. Because if you know if somebody's missing, just from a general like physical standpoint, if somebody's missing, you can kind of play one man or one woman down, or two maybe even in some larger campaigns. But like if the DM's missing, there is no game. So like we're obviously need to be there. We need to be present. We typically I find very DMs true. Are, I typically find anybody, any one of my DM GM friends, they're the ones who are also like the organizers. They're the cat herders. They're the ones who are in the group text making sure like, all right, we all good for Thursday, right? Oh, no, oh, your thing happened? All right, well, let's transition to Saturday. Is everybody good? Like, I feel like there's this extra responsibility that we do put on as DMs. So as much as I want to tell people like, hey, you really don't have to know everything as a DM or you don't have to feel like you have to be like the god or the ruler or like have all this burden. At the same time, you do have, a, again, my perspective of DMing, you do have a little bit of a responsibility to the players to ensure that they're having, I can't guarantee you're going to have a good time, but I can guarantee you're in a place to where you're free to have a good time and I'm trying to make the game yes. such. Yeah. It, your responsibility is is enabling the players like that's really what it is now what they do with that enablement is very often on them um and also i think if you cultivate a a solid gaming group where everyone is kind of there for the same sort of storytelling experience it'll start running itself i think the hardest thing in the world to do is is dm or gm or whichever term you want to use a group of strangers uh, that's daunting. That's difficult because everyone can come to the table with different expectations and different things that they think are fun, ways that they want to play. And wrangling that is a very hard experience. But if everyone pretty much is on the same page, it's not as rough as people think it is. Yeah. And building your group is such a big facet of what we have to do as GMs and DMs is recognizing who's going to work well together and Uh sometimes even being able to recognize maybe if you're in your third or fourth session and you find out like man, this guy wants to play one style of like war strategy game. The other people just want to have a good time and you know give shit to the local bartender and role play a bunch. And like there's di- there's this disconnect here. And if I appeal to this group, he's upset. If I appeal to that group, they're upset. If there's a medium place, great. But maybe ultimately if this isn't the game for them, I can be like, hey, we'll try something different. But if you're still not having a good time, maybe this isn't the game for you. And maybe you know, find another group or maybe I'll just run a different game for you and people who are like-minded like you. Exactly. And I think the, the more confident and you become as a DM and the more experience you get, the more equipped you are to handle when someone isn't quite jiving with everyone else. Like, for instance, you have a play, like you said, you have a player that wants to war game. They want to strategize. And then you have a bunch of other players who want to, who want to improv and role play in the bar and have fun there. The, the more experienced GMs are able to bounce back and forth and give each people enough of what they want in a session to where it doesn't fragment the group. But if you're a beginning GM, why put that burden on yourself? You know, do what you said, you know, kind of make sure that everyone's there getting the experience they want. And as you become more comfortable, then you can bring in those disparate elements. Yeah, your improvisation skills are super, super important. And while I I, I agree that like 
regardless of what system you're in, obviously as a GM, there's a couple of criteria that you have to meet, which is one, having resources like either at least a player's handbook or some sort of supplemental thing. So you can go to the rules in situations to where you don't want to make up something on the fly. And then when you're a beginner, you sure as shit or don't know how to make it up on the fly and you barely know that kind of have a handle on the mechanics. So that's good to have. But I think one of the other things that is definite criteria to game master any sort of rpg is the ability to improvise and be quick on your feet because these guys and gals who come to your table do not think the way you do and it's just a fact of life nobody as is as smart as or can predict all the possibilities like um, batman of five six different people's minds you just can't do it right no i agree i agree you have to be you have to be willing to to yes and which is a tentative improv and you have to be able to you also have to be able to know when to kind of put some walls around the craziness that's happening at your table. And it's a very delicate, fine line because you don't want to, you don't want to restrict your players. Uh, you want to encourage them to do crazy things that you as the DM are not expecting because ultimately that's where some of the greatest storylines come from. But you also want to make sure that they aren't game breaking. And it, it is a difficult, fine line to walk. And it's a skill. It's an honest-to-God skill that you develop over time. The more I DM, the more I am capable of taking a crazy thing that happens at the table, spinning it on the fly, and still weaving it in a direction that goes kind of along with the plot and the story of what's happening without railroading the players mm -hmm. and kind of taking what they say and tacking it on to what I do rather than letting it be its own thing own train going down its own track yeah there's and and there's moments where and i kind of want to go back on something we were talking about like putting your group together and things like that and we're going to be all over the place because me and jeff are just like this we get really ecstatic when we talk together there's also something about um you as a dm going back to like the importance of improvisation the importance of also coming off as confident and you have control even when you don't uh, of a game i think is so huge because you can lose your players' interest and their investment if you're constantly coming off, like if you break from the action because you're like, I don't know, I need to uh, check this rule. Make it up on the fly or judge it as you see fit. That shows confidence that I know what I'm doing. Or if it gets to a point where like they go against, and I unfortunately, this has not happened to me, but it happened to a close friend of mine. His campaign was ramping up to an end. They had a definite you know, end date because a person was going to leave. So they're like, all right, cool. We got up, we got ready for this final quest, but we ended up going right instead of left or we didn't follow the railroad. And he legit, the GM stopped the game and goes, well, that's all I had planned for tonight and it's not going to happen. So game over. And that night ended. Their big climactic thing ended because he was like, I guess, had a module or maybe a, a set adventure, and it didn't. They didn't want to go in that direction, and he stopped the game. And it was the most anticlimactic session uh, campaign ender ever. And I was like, no, no, you. Even if that happens, BS your ass off. Either get them back in the direction you want, or BS your ass off a, a, an ending to make them happy. <laughs> like do something. Here's the thing. I, I subscribe to a theory called Schrodinger's uh, ogre. So it, it doesn't, <laughs> if you have an event planned or you have a thing planned or an encounter planned or a room in your dungeon planned, unless you've given the players a map, a full map of the area and they know, okay, if I go left, that room is going to be here. You just put the room wherever you want. It doesn't matter. Like you can, you're, you're creating this. 
in your head, you might think, well, the players need to go through step A, then gate B, then door C to get to this thing I have planned. And if they don't do that, they can never get to the thing planned. That's nonsense and shenanigans. You can put that thing that you have planned wherever. You just have to improv the connective tissue to get them there. Yeah, and one of my favorite things is and when you GM for a while and then you get the opportunity, and I don't get this too often, but I do get the opportunity to play in like one shots or for friends who are getting into this partially because, you know, anybody who plays RPGs, I feel like we're all part of like the, the, the house of the D20 or whatever system where we all want to convert everybody. We're all right, evangelical, right. right? So I take great joy in, in being part of those one shots to help them ease into RPGs. But I really, really love, especially when I'm either doing it for a new or experienced player, after I have fun, I do the thing, I'll go to them and be like, if you're willing to tell me, was that really a third wolf that came out after we c- killed those two or was that an improv thing? And that's like, because those are those moments to where if if it's true that this is something they improvise, they notice like the tempo's down. We need to bring up the danger level or like, huh, that was easier than we thought. Well, they recognize they need to move us here and they switch something there. I'm like, God damn it. You did well. I'm so proud of you. Like those are the things that make me so happy mm-hmm. because nothing ever goes right. It's just a story of life. Nothing ever goes exactly the way you want it to be. Some of the best experiences my players have had at my table where they afterwards go, man, I can't believe you you planned this or that, that you thought this out are all improv on the spot things. Always. If you're confident, like you said earlier, and you present it in such a way, the players will believe that you planned it regardless of if you made it up on the spot or not. And that's what they're there for. Very, I, I almost think that playing at a table with, with a DM you you should have the same expectations as when you go to a magic show. So when you go to a magic show, you know that what's happening up on stage is an illusion, mm-hmm. but you buy into it. The The act of buying into the illusion allows you kind of a freedom of joy. You don't have to sit there and worry about, oh, well, did this guy, you know, talk to that person in the audience and set this up? You don't care. You're just like, wow, that's really cool. If you if you approach playing with that mindset, you will be astounded and amazed at things that often aren't planned or are planned. And honestly, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And there's also an extra weight and like now going back into what, you know, is kind of good about jamming and what I, I enjoy also is world building. There's a really extra weight into if you've had the pleasure and the, the honor to be with some people for a long, long time in a campaign to where they've either established the, their, their character in the world or helped like kind of define how the world works to where something small and simple as like, oh, this character is kidnapped and they go, stop everything we're doing. Forget this. We're going to go hang out with this NPC because we care about this NPC. Like I literally had one of these nightmare scenarios that happened because I had prepped for somebody to leave, had a giant battle planned and the whole nine. But I'd left this thread in for after this battle. If, you know, if they survived, like, oh, one of your great allies and your best friends is an NPC who's now gone kidnapped, you know, missing. But when I dropped that nugget in there, they ignored the big fight and they went, no, he's missing guys, fuck this place. We're going to go find him. And I had to rejigger my entire final night for, for one, of, one of the players who was leaving. So I was like, shit, they're in a completely different part. Of, they took the hook way early. All right, here we go. But at the, after that happened, I went back and I looked at that scenario because I always do this in my drive home. I do this like replay and I like to remember like, okay, what did they like? What are they not like? What are they like? Okay, more of that, you know, and also we'll play like some of the BS I sh- said because there has to be some sort of continuity, right? Some verisimilitude. Vers- so I'm over here like, okay, shit, I made up a place and so then I got to write a history about that and whatever. So I had that moment when I was driving back about, no, that was amazing. That was the, one of the best sessions I ever had because I realized 
they care about that NPC so fucking much. They were in a railroad section. They said, fuck it. I like that guy so much. That story point is, is so important to me. I'm going to ignore what we're currently doing. And I was like, that's a victory. Holy shit. It is. And, but for newer, newer DMs, like if you have newer DMs or GMs that are listening to this, if I can offer a bit of advice, if that sounds scary to you, like, oh my God, he had to redo his whole final battle on the night of. Now, that's an awesome thing. And I agree with you. That would be exhilarating for me, but it's also daunting. Oh, yeah. One way you can avoid that in a tip, something I like to try and follow and I try and do more of, is I end each session after a major decision point. I don't let the major decision point of what the party's going to do happen at the beginning of the night. I try to have it happen at the end of the night, the previous session, so that at least I have an idea the next night of what the first major thing the party wants to tackle is. And it makes planning a session out a little less daunting. So do you do you, so do you directly like ask them like all right guys are you going to go confront the king about this scenario where you found out this conspiracy? Um, sometimes sometimes I'll do it like that or I will just I will try and I try and um I try and cliffhang my sessions. Now I don't do it every time, mm-hmm. but I try and feel out and and honestly emotionally blackmail my characters I, I, <laughs> instead of railroading i just like to emotionally blackmail them this rpg does making, not endorse emotional blackmailing <laughs> but into making decisions like i don't care what the decision is but i will present situations or conversations with npcs where npcs will directly ask the players like not maybe are you going to save the king tomorrow good sir you know but but i will put the seeds out there that they have to make a decision and let the party talk amongst themselves. And the moment one of them will say, well, it looks like we got to do X or looks like this is what we have to focus on next. Boom. That's where we end that session. Hmm. I try and always make sure that at the three and a half, four hour mark, because most of my sessions are about that due to the fact that people have kids they have to get home to and everything else. Um, I know when we're approaching a close and I will try and create a situation that allows that conversation to happen. Now, granted, if they're in the middle of a dungeon or anything else, I don't have to worry about it. We know where they are in the map. They've just finished the big battle. They're getting ready to take their, their short rest. Great. Or boom, the NPC villain has just confronted them. And I know we don't have time to do the big climactic battle. Guess what? Cliffhanger, guys. But then I know starting next session, at least I have the first hour figured out because I know where those players are going to go. So you never had this when you started, obviously. You haven't had this wisdom. So let's go back to oh, young you. No. Let's go back to young you. So you're starting. You mentioned D&D. So has it been mostly D&D for you at this time? Was your first session as a GM D&D, I assume? My first session was Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition. I honestly, my role-playing game experience is not very broad. I've played a couple systems that I love. And I've looked at other systems. I've read the books. But honestly, I, I just, I'm the type of person that when I find something I like, I just stick with it. I'm a creature of habit. So for me, it was Dungeons and Dragons and the, the hero system. So it was Champions, um, and I did a short stint of their fantasy hero rules, which is basically the, the D6 Champions system reskinned for Dungeons and Dragons type adventures. Uh, and then, I don't know if you want to, it's a... Car Wars. I did a lot of GURPS Car Wars, but I don't really call that role playing. That's a bit of tabletopy, um, less RPG. Um, but that's pretty much all I did. Um, yeah, yeah, pretty much that's it. So first, first DMing was 
Dungeons and Dragons, and I did run a couple Champions campaigns over the years. But that's pretty much it for DMing. So with DMing there, you've had, uh, was it a one-shot? Was it a module? What were you running, or did you actually get into world building at that first session? I am ambitious, as always. <laughs> of course, you are. It's Jeff. Right. So it was definitely world building. Uh, it was a long-running campaign. Came up with came up with a bunch of stuff on my own. Um, I am a big fan of what I call half-brewing. So I don't homebrew everything. I will see something in a module and go, that's a neat idea. I can do it better. And then I will take that idea and I will shape it. I'll use the structure of it and maybe some plot points and overarching ideas. And then I will pull from it and tack it into my world. I don't have the time to sit down and Matt Mercer this shit. You know what I mean? I, I like that, that to me, having that ability to write like that huge world, that's, oh my God, that's amazing. I will write half a world and leave a bunch of openings, and then I'll pull from other existing areas, reskin and drop them in where I think they're appropriate. Um, so while I wasn't using modules, I would find an idea in a module or an encounter, let's say an encounter in a module. I'm like, I like that encounter. And then I'll build everything, all the connective tissue around it to then utilize said encounter. Actually, that's kind of funny that you mentioned about your mixed thing because uh, I did a, a Reddit uh, poll recently for this podcast and 46% of like the over 100 so, uh, so people said that, so 46 voters I guess, uh, said that they did a similar thing to where they would actually do a mix of their own world but taking published stuff and kind of m melding it. So like – that's something I think is so important to understand to any new and old, actually. I, I find I'm also like you. When I started my first DM session, I was completely BSing a world because we were in San Diego. Uh, I was just like, oh, it's uh, there's a festival happening where people dress up for three days. And uh, <laughs> yep, that's what's going on. Right. So like obviously my my surroundings was influencing me, but like. As soon as I got done with that and I came home uh, back to Atlanta and I started my session, I had a weekend to create the world and it was legit just like, all right, here's a bunch of bullets for this map and I've got at least 12 cities, but only one I really know anything about. Like only one I can say I solidly know and then the other 11 are just a, a line that catches like my mind about that support city. That's where the halflings are. That's the old religious city, like whatever. And from there, like you go and I would find the same thing, materials online, whether there would be just inspirational like a forum posts or people literally being like, hey, look, guys, look at this dungeon I ran. I'm like, fuck, that's a great design. I like that. I'm going to take that design and put it somewhere in yep. my world. Right. And that's part of the also the brother slash sisterhood, whatever you want to call it, of RPGs. Uh, anybody listening will know this if you've played for a while. It's we all immediately want to tell you about our fucking characters or our, our campaigns, especially the and GMs who immediately when they hear you talk about a game or talk about a problem they go yeah I had that before let me tell you here's what you can do or here's something I did and like we're it's a communal inclusive thing where we all want to help each other it not only is a collaborative storytelling at the table I think it's collaborative storytelling as a community everyone borrow lens across the board uh, when telling their stories and their games whether they reskin it give it new names whether they use it you know uh, the, the way it's written we all borrow lend and that's okay. And I think, honestly, if you approach it that way, it becomes, again, kind of less daunting for new DMs slash GMs because you don't have to do it all yourself. You don't have to reinvent that wheel. There's so much great stuff out there. Now, granted, there's a lot of crap out there too. 
but there's a ton of great stuff out there that you can borrow from. And that's okay. As long as you don't take credit for it. And that's the one thing I will say. As long as you don't take credit for something and say, well, I created all of this and you, you your players think that you're doing something you're not. Be honest if asked, you know, because here's the thing. Players will eventually buy stuff and they'll read stuff <laughs> and go, hmm, this looks familiar. You sound like you got experience there. Yeah. <laughs> well, my, my recent campaign... It's funny. So I started when D and D five E. I had taken a break from RPGs for a while, for a long time, to be honest with you. A because I didn't have the time, and B because for a long time in my late twenties, early thirties, I suffered from serious nerd shame. Um, but I finally came back out of my shell, and I was like, D and D five E is coming out. Everyone's talking, you know, like it's the the resurgence of Dungeons and Dragons. Because honestly, I looked at fourth edition, and was like, holy dear God, I this is not for me at all yeah that was very much made for a video game i found out a little bit about the history of that and i'm like yeah i can see it it was tabletop wow and that's fine people love it i'm not going to shit on someone else's you know favorite version it just wasn't for my play style so i never never really cared about it but 5e came out and i was like man i i want to play a game it's been so long i want to run a game again so i sat down and I came up with a plot. I was like, what is an interesting plot? Hmm. Wrote, wrote a bunch of stuff down. And I had a couple plot hooks in there that involved dragons. Very shortly after I wrote all this down, Tyranny of Dragons came out. And I picked it up and I was like, huh. A lot of the stuff that I came up with is the plot of this module. But this is all fleshed out. So I would take chapters, not the whole thing. I think I took four chapters and kind of reskinned them like this. Fits perfectly in the adventure I'm telling. Why would I bother? Why would I bother rewriting it all when it's right here for me? So I took it. I didn't think that some of my other savvy players who were also DMing their own games were going to pick up this book. And eventually I got the question like, hey, man, this looks kind of familiar. And I had to say, okay, yes clearly but please don't metagame and of course my players were good enough that they didn't they kept it all to themselves and everything but yeah i mean definitely you're gonna have players do it um just like for instance i was recently playing in a curse of strahd game uh one of the best campaigns i've ever played in it was fantastic the dm crushed it but because i'd been around and i've been on social media and I have the books, even though I didn't read it, knowing I was going into that campaign. I kind of knew a couple plot points. And you have to, you just have to accept that conceit and work with the DM to, to not metagame it. And, that, when that and that's what I think is the reason for so many people doing that mix. Is I think there's this um, fear almost of like losing that first, you know, it's the same spoiler culture we're speaking about now in modern nerd and geekdom about like, I don't want to get spoiled. I don't want to lose that first experience, that first, oh my God, you know, knowing a uh, feeling. So like, yeah, when we're playing in these RPG systems, anybody who's doing anything where you're taking somebody's idea, um, obviously uh, do credit them and all, do try to change it. Like I, I believe in, really leaning into the cheese I, I make this joke all the time at my table like right now they're on a quest to get the chalice of divinity right the chalice of divinity sounds like something else and they're with the knights de leon who have a half crescent table like they looked at me when i when they learned that story point and i'm like yeah exactly and and they and, but, but they went like okay we got it 
like don't worry about being a hundred percent original and you know use these tropes use these things to your advantage so if there is like a super ninja assassin cult guess what like everybody understands what ninjas are they get it like your players will pick up on that and be like cool we get their mo we know what we're, we're dealing with and then you can move on from there and like nobody nobody's coming to this table it's for the most original story in, in the world or they, they i don't know if they they are but if they are you know you should ask them ahead of time if they've ever heard of lord of the rings or ninjas or assassins or knights because if they've heard of all these things it's not going to be original I want the game. Hold on. No, no. I need to say this. I need the game with Lord of the Ring ninjas. I need this you know, now. So I, 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 I'm I, pretty sure somewhere in the Silmarillion, there's like some lost people who are assassins and stuff like that. I'm sure there are. But what you're saying, like, I get what you're saying, and I agree with it 100%. The uniqueness, the, you know, it, it, comes from, it comes from your players. Really, that's, that's where the magic happens. Uh, everything that you're going to put in your story, while it should be special and it should be unique and it should be a story that you really want to tell. But honestly, it's going to be, it's going to, pieces of it are going to be found in other pieces of fantasy literature or other source books or other modules because like you said, everything's been done and that's okay. Let your players deliver the magic to your game. So back to magic and we're talking about all the things that work well and have you ever had a, a campaign or a session that didn't go well? And who, like, what happened? Because I've had the fear as a GM and DM. I'm, a, I'm, a, I come off as maybe, maybe I come off as confident. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I, I've always had this fear in the back of my mind. Like, I want to make sure everybody's having a good time. I want to make sure everybody's having a good time. So I'll check in with my players and stuff like that. But I had one uh, campaign, unfortunately, go to where there was so much divisiveness kind of between the players and the play styles that like two people just were like, hey, I can't play this game anymore. Sorry, bud. And I felt like I like it was my fault. Maybe it was or maybe it wasn't. So have you ever had a scenario where you're like, ah, damn it, I, I, I don't think I did as well as I should have or I don't think I, I gave the campaign people one to play? I 100% I believe it was your fault. So yes. To oh, that. God, but, now I'm going to uh, need therapy, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> like you already didn't. Um, no, I uh, luckily I have not had that issue. I've had sessions where I was like, man, that uh, that session was just dog crap. But honestly, even those sessions, I feel that I'm being harder on myself than my players would. But in terms of overall campaigns, I've never had that problem. I've been adjacent to games where I've seen that happen. Games where I would occasionally pop in an NPC, like when I wanted to hang out with that group. And I've seen that sort of divisiveness amongst the players. Uh, but I will say this. Every time I've seen that, I've never blamed the GM. Uh, because luckily... All the people whose tables I've sat at have been wonderful GMs. I've never had the personal experience of the the quintessential, stereotypical, crappy GM that you see online. You hear the horror stories about. I've been very lucky in my role-playing career to not run into that. I know they exist. Just haven't seen them in the wild Because I myself. think that's an observation uh, bias. Like, you know, you only restaurants get negative reviews because they're the only people who care to, like, get on there and say shit. Like, it might be yeah. one of those scenarios then because... As far as as far as I've been, I'm obviously not as far along as you are there, Jeff. But <laughs> stop calling me old, man. Stop calling me old. Uh, no, but like every table I've been to, you know, sans maybe like small skirmishes there between players who were kind of butting heads. Like everybody's gelled. The GM has always been able to recognize what's going on, and then if there's like an inner player conflict, they'll either 
curtail the story in such a way that forcing cooperation or make it so that the players like kind of break it up and move on to the thing. So GMs, I think, are really good at hurting cats and dealing with kids. As long as you're willing to, and that's the thing, is it's a partnership. You are willing to give the player something and the players need to be willing to give you something in return. Again, I go back to that that conceit of a magic show almost. Um, it's a give and take. You both have to agree on a certain common ground that you're willing to play in this defined field. So what I do as a DM is I will check in with my players every couple months. You know, every few months, you know, three to four months, I feel it's kind of like a chapter in my campaign. That's that's about the time it takes to do a major plot point. So after each one, I'll, I'll ask them each, you know, hey, what do you like? What don't you like? Uh, is there anything you want to change? Is there anything you want more of? Is there anything you want less of? And tell me a few things you would like your character to experience or or to accomplish in the next chapter. And that way I get a feel that, yeah, I need a course correct here or, or this person's pretty much always happy, but this person, you know, their interest wanes and I got I to gotta spend a little more time with them. And you kind of have to, you have to play around with it a little bit. It's It's not... It's very much an art form. It's not sentence. It's not science. It's art. You, you have to play it out and you have to feel it out bit by bit and player by player. Yeah, and a tip I got from our good friend Dan Wallace was even when you start a session, ask your players to be the one to recap. So then you can pay attention yeah. to what they remember and what they noted. Is And that's the things that obviously you're like, okay, they like it when that happens. They like it when this, I'll give them more of that so that it becomes more noteworthy. But you brought on something interesting about how this is kind of like an unspoken social contract here. Um are you, are you friends with always – are you always friends with the people who come to your table? No. Okay. Absolutely so not. So I've, I've seen people who believe that uh, – on both sides. Some people who are like, I don't make friends with the people who come to my table. And I've known people who are like, I only play with people who would be my friends in real life. Mm, let, me, let me rephrase. I only let people at my table who I'm friends with because it's in my house. Okay. It's in my space. Specifically inside your home. I got you. I got you. Right. I, and I want, I, I want to like those people. I want, I want those people to be people I'm willing to hang out with because they're hanging out in my house for a half an hour to an hour, eating food and chit-chatting before we get started every time we have a session. I'm not going to invite someone to my home that I don't personally like. I will play at other tables and have a great time with people that I honestly am not friends with or don't even really like as people. I like playing with them. Uh, I, I liken this very much to I don't have to like you to act in a play with you or to be in a show with you or to do improv with you. I just need to trust that you're there to do your job in that situation. Uh, and it's the same with gaming. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't quite know where I come down on that now because the majority of the people I've played with like either were already friends or I could easily sure. have been friends with them. Like I, in the, my longest running game is my Monday game, which is on three years now. And, you know, aside from one TPK of sort of, uh, you know, it's been one cohesive story. Like I've been with those people so often that eventually like one day I was like, oh, we're not playing this Monday. Let's go out to eat together and hang out. And I like, oh, yeah, we could definitely be friends. But at the same time, like I've gladly been able to either one shot for people or, you know, go to Adventures League stuff and pick up on like, yeah, that was a lot of fun. But I don't like that's it. Like we play this game together and then right. we disconnect. Right. The same way we would online. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. So this is 
kind of a perfect time for well for this podcast for talking about RPGs and stuff like that because there's this renaissance now of tabletop board gaming started a little bit farther back than let's say Critical Role with stuff like tabletop from Will Wheaton and Geek and Sundry and things like that but now it's exploded onto Twitch onto Kickstarters left and right for all sorts of RPGs are happening as as one of our future guests is going to be one one, one such person who kickstarted their game as well I'm wondering for you now, having kind of been through the cycles and yourself kind of being up and down in your geek and nerdum, how it feels to kind of see like Stranger Things talking about D&D and celebrities playing D&D and like hundreds of thousands of views concurrently for like Critical Role and stuff. How's that feel, man? I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you an honest answer. Go for it. I love it unabashedly love the fact that this is the case and this is the world we live in but there is a small part of me the small lizard brain grognard part of my brain that does take a little umbrage at it um and i i beat that down because i know it's a knee-jerk reaction from years of being harassed and and destroyed for being a nerd when i was a kid um that i i have a little bit of resentment that oh great now it's fucking you know popular of course it is yeah, you could have had but that when you were 12 fair. or 13 right? Wait, it's just not right it's not fair yeah and and i i understand it but i'm also not gonna lie and say that i don't sometimes feel that way i don't have that knee-jerk gatekeeper reaction um but when i set that aside i'm super happy that we're starting to, i mean honestly I mean, the world is a garbage fire right now. It's nice to be able to see groups of people being able to come together around a thing they love. Um, luckily, for the most part, role-playing games, specifically tabletop games, a little bit less. Um, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of gatekeeping there. There's not a lot of the same things you see elsewhere uh, with other nerd uh, culture phenomenons. Um, and, and I'm happy for that. I, I'm happy that people can just do what they want to do, enjoy it, and see that representation in, in mass media. See that, hey, look, that TV show is talking about a thing that I like. That, you know, these celebrities are evangelizing this thing that I like that used to be taboo that you couldn't talk about because people would laugh at you. Um, I, I think it's great. Yeah, and I and you know I like you being honest because I always wanted that obviously from you because you're somebody who speaks your mind. I, I understand where that from. I guess from people who had been ostracized and when they got into these types of things to now finally have that happen. I can see where that gatekeeper instinct comes from, and I understand also of people and you know this goes broader than RPGs goes to just geek them in general. I can understand why some people would feel also like these. Uh, people are, are intruding into their world, which they thought was kind of the small sec uh, secluded thing. It's now become mainstream and they feel like that might detract from it or take away some validity to it. I don't know if, if, uh, if I, but what the, the psychology of it's yeah, very, it's a, it's a weird thing. But what I'm trying to uh, like ultimately get to is my, my, my ultimate point is going to be like, if there's more means for people to be happy, if there's more means for people to have a great time, escape and enjoy, you know, three to four hours with other people. And that also extends into the realm of representation. And here's where I'll open and I might upset some people when I say this. Like I when I put together my games, 
will intentionally, if I'm like doing now a mass call, they'll be like, oh, on Reddit or let's say Twitter to be like, I want the, you know somebody to play in my game with me. I will actually pick people who've A've never played, B are women or C are minorities over people who are WASP. I, I'm going to say it right now, judge me, I don't care. I really feel like this is an opportunity to, I've played in the games where it's all guys who are 20s, 30s, facial hair, glasses, and worked in tech or accounting. And that's fine and that was great. But then I really, really loved that I was able to have, you know, my Sunday games, which is all like four women and one guy. I love that, you know, there's Hispanic and Asians and all that in all my groups. And like, because my whole thing is first, I wanted my game to be something that would represent the type of people I want to be around. And I want to be around a diverse group of people. But secondly, and again, maybe this is me being a bleeding heart here, but I also want to make a more inclusive world. So to do as such, I think you got to reach out to people who wouldn't normally be into these types of things. So that's that's my belief on that as well. Jeff, you can tear me apart if you like. No, of course not. Of course not. I don't. I, I because I I don't advertise for games. I don't I don't do it that much. I I don't really have a, one one thought about it or another. I mean, what you said makes perfect sense to me. Um, you know, my table is a good mix of, of women and men, and I love that because they bring different things to the mm-hmm. table, different approaches. Um, as a white dude with facial hair that works in tech, um, I'm not offended by what you just said. So there you go. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you speaking for all white dudes with facial hair uh, who work in tech. Well, we're all the same. So it's easy. That, to speak that, that's you know, true, that's John. Uh, that's, that's very true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, I know we've had um, years of knowing each other. I, I don't think we've had the pleasure of playing at the table together, but we need to rectify that one day soon. But... Personally, as a player, what do you like to play, bud? Like when you're not DMing? Oof. I, oh man, it has changed over the years. Um, I have found that my greatest joy now comes in playing characters that have a tragically low stat. Um, it doesn't matter what it is, as long as one of their stat it, it, stats are, are, are uh, in the toilet. That to me is so much fun. It gives so much opportunity to play. Um, I approach, I approach being a player like improv. I, I approach it as an acting exercise. I want to take something and I want to see what I can do with it and enjoy it um, and contribute to everyone else's story. Um, I almost feel now that I don't care about my own character's story as being, you know, like in my head as the main character. I like being the f- fun or it doesn't have to be fun, but with fun, tragic, amusing, whatever you want to call it, uh, accomplice to someone else's story. So I will pick a player at the table and be like, okay, you're my guy or you're my girl. I am attaching myself to your story and I'm going to intersperse myself here and there where it's appropriate to enhance what you're doing. Um, and I find that very often having a character that has some major flaw, uh, whether they're comical or, or not, allows me to do that so i will always told you know write what you know so that means your characters are always a representation of yourself so i thought it was kind of interesting that you mentioned what the improv thing and wanting to help the person out and kind of be a compliment to them because that's something you got into now in that part of your life so that kind of makes mm-hmm. that's that's a one-to-one i like that correlation there as well me personally because i'm so accustomed because i run three games you know two weekly one monthly i i have right, so right, right. much stuff in my head that when it comes to like sitting at a table i am straightforward as hell I am either like a quiet assassin or a quiet monk 
or I'm just like the most obvious like fighter. Like I like simplicity. I don't want to know too much. I mean, I, I once thought about like, and I, and we'll get to talking about like streaming stuff and if you'd ever do it in a second, sure. but I'd always had this kind of envision thing of like, if I ever had to guess star or guest, you know, a play at anyone's table, I'd want to pick the blandest character who will just show up and like be ecstatic, my serve my post. And I, I always wanted to be a guard that just gets killed. Like I want to be guard number two. We're like, all right, here comes this guest host. And everybody's like, what's this interesting character he's going to bring to it? I'm going to be like, all right, I attack the character. He attacks you back for 14 points and I'm done. All right, cool. Like I got. Bland is important at a table. Every, I will say this, every table needs a mix of that. Because as a DM, nothing upsets me more. And I, I'm sure I'll upset some audience members out there, and I apologize for that. But I will say this. Nothing upsets me more when every single character at the table has to be some weird... I'm a tabaxi, half tabaxi, half tiefling, you know, multi-class this with an amazing, crazy backstory. Like, Jesus Christ, really? Is everyone the craziest thing they can think of? Bland characters, simple, straightforward characters here and there enhance a story so don't be ashamed of that be that yeah. guy we all need guard you. number two baby but no in my yep. house in my in my in my house rules it's i i've gotten to the point now because of that very thing because i i don't know if we've uh out there have watched the, the incredibles film but if everyone's special no one's special so you're right. Yeah. Yes. So my whole thing is I will tell people like, all right, if you want to play like Azamar or, or like some super exotic, super different thing, there can only be one guy. So fight amongst yourself who that's going to be because if everybody's from the exotic race who brings omens of darkness, that everybody's like going to have the same story or the same reaction from the, the villagers and the random like townsfolk and kings. And I'm like, nobody wants to play that game. Well, some people want to play that game. And again, it goes back to Find a group that meshes with your interests. Um, I am, like, for instance, I prefer low fantasy over high fantasy. You know, if you give me a game that's right, that's Forgotten Realms, you know, uh, cubed, and every single player is a dragonborn or a tiefling or a tabaxi, I'm probably not going to be interested in playing in that world. But you give me a world that's more Conan-like, I'm more about that. You give me a world that's Lord of the Rings-like, you know, where magic is there, but it's not, you know, every single person is an Elminster. Like, I'm more into that. But that's not to say one playstyle is right and one is wrong. I think everyone needs both, and you need to be able to make those choices to find a group that you really enjoy playing. True, yeah. Conversation, communication kind of comes down to that. And prep, I always do a uh, pre... Uh, in, in games that I run now with my groups, because I've been running them with them some time, it's a session zero where I, I will legitimately like sit down and be like, guys, what's the campaign going to be like? What are you guys looking for this time? What are you thinking? Like, let's, let's hash it out. We've run this before. Do you want to do something similar to that? Something lighter, something darker? Or if it's somebody who's completely new to my game, I sit them down for a lunch or a dinner at, a, at like a, a restaurant and I'm like hey look this is the type of game I run this is the type of people my guys are and gals are like so what are you going to bring what can, what do you want to do like here's our kind of rules and I also very specific about this as well another one of my things that can upset people I tell them straight up this is a commitment like you would for a job you are giving me three hours of your time every Monday or Sunday because everybody else is giving me three hours of their time and I'm bringing forth hopefully something that enriches their time. So if you're always missing or you're blase about this or you don't want to commit, get the fuck out of my game, bro. I 100% I agree. And to go back to something you said a little while ago, also be willing to understand that your players will grow and their interests will change over time. So that conversation you have with them 
what they want then very well might not be what they want six months or a year from now. Um, and to kind of tie it back into what you were asking me about characters I like to play. I, I love playing in games where there's like one or two shy new people at the table. Because I find that if I am willing to just commit... And I'm willing to do every, every character I have has a different voice. You know, every character I have, you know, I, I'm emoting, I'm playing it out. Um, in fact, you know, I, I always get a kick out of other players being like, man, I, I telling me they always know when I'm in character and out of character because I have my speaking voice and I have my Jeff mannerisms. And then I have my character voice and character mannerisms and there's no, never any confusion. But by doing that, you can bring these character, these other players out of their shell where they realize, oh, it's okay to just kind of let go and have fun with it. So the character that maybe starts off like, well, I'm not really, I don't want to role play a lot. That makes me nervous. And, you know, that might not be the case six months from then when they sit at a table with a bunch of people who are role playing. You very well can change how people want to experience the game by how you as another player play. Yeah, and that's actually a great thing I think everybody should have in any game is if you recognize that there's somebody who's kind of new or apprehensive and doesn't want to role play and, and you would like them to, you think that's going to enhance their experience, is to address them in character or yes. just do the small, ask them to do the smallest things about like when you speak, don't say like, I guess, uh, yeah, Calyx will uh, like, no, say I'm going to do that. That's the first like right. step of like I'm yeah. attacking. I want to speak to the constable. Okay, and then like when you do that, how do you do that? Like, oh, I want to intimidate him. Yeah. No, 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 no. Don't roll. Tell me what you're doing to intimidate him. That's the slow eventual build yeah. of confidence. Yeah, because lots of times, you know, that's not normal for people. They don't understand. You know, when you're a kid, you know what it's like to play. When you're when you're when you're six years old and you play cops and robbers, you never describe what you're doing in the third person. Well, my cop is going to do this to you. No, you're just like I'm the cop. Bang, bang, bang. I've got you. I'm putting you in jail. What? But somehow we forget that in life as we get older, and we forget how to just embrace that that joy of playing someone else. Um, and you kind of have to ease people back into it that aren't comfortable doing it. But usually the people that are uncomfortable doing it at first are the ones that will just break out of their shell and really own it later. Like the game we were just playing, uh, the Curse of Strahd game I mentioned earlier, it ran for a little over a year. It was fantastic. Uh, there were two brand new players at the table and one of them uh, was playing a bard. Didn't know how to role play at first. Had no clue. Was doing everything you just said. You know, uh, my character does this. My character does this. By about two or three months in, that fool was writing his songs and singing them. Like It was an amazing transformation to watch. All because of just us kind of just interacting with him and showing him that, hey, dude, it's fine. You know, just just t what would your character do? And he finally, it, it clicked for him. And since, since that point in time, man, he was a role-playing fool. And it was fantastic to watch. Yeah, and I mean, that's... What we ultimately want is we want people to have a good time and enjoy that. But kind of tying yeah. in now, since we were talking about the Renaissance here and we're getting towards the end of what I'm pretty sure it could be a 15-part series geeking over the stuff. One of the biggest things also to come from this tabletop Renaissance is streaming. And so many games, mm -hmm. not just mm -hmm. Dungeons & Dragons, uh, whether you're talking about the Open Legend system, whether you're talking about White Wolf, you name it, it's being streamed. It's being done. And first, what do you think? If there's any stuff that you watch and enjoy, and secondly, would you ever want to stream your games? Because I've I've got my own thoughts about this. 
Oh, okay. What do I think about it? Eh, whatever. I am, I don't, hmm, how do I want to put this? I don't understand anything that involves watching someone do something that I could be doing myself. Like I don't watch sports. I'd rather play the sports. I don't, well, you know, I don't, I don't watch people play video games on Twitch because why wouldn't I just be playing the video games myself? I'm not crapping on anyone who likes that. I just don't get it. Um, the same goes for the role-playing game stuff. I don't understand why people do it with one exception. And I, I am a critical role fan starting from season two. I always knew it was great in season one, but I'm also a, uh, an OCD level completionist. And by the time I became aware of it and realized how good those actors are, uh, there was no way I was catching up. So I just had to say, nope, not doing it. I'm waiting for season two. So <laughs> I am enjoying season two, but I'm not enjoying it for the game. I'm enjoying it because I enjoy the voice actors and what they bring to the table. Um, I would pretty much watch uh, Sam Regal and, and Laura Bailey do anything. Uh, they're just fascinating to me, and I enjoy what they put into their characters. Um, so I do watch that. But otherwise, it's not my thing. Um that said, would I ever stream my game? No, that's too much work. I don't have the time. Uh, would I play in someone's streamed game? If it was a setup like they do with Critical Role where everyone's there actually in person and not trying to do the Skype in thing? Yeah, I think I would. I think that would be very interesting to me uh, simply because I would continue to use it as an acting exercise. Um, I think that would be fantastic. But I haven't found anyone around here locally where I live that has a setup like that. Uh, the couple people I do know that stream games, they do it over Roll20 and things like that. And to be honest with you, that doesn't interest me. I want to be present at the table with the people I'm playing with. Yeah, and I've, you know, I've, my, my thoughts on this are kind of uh, partially marred by the fact that I have friends, people who've been on this podcast and whatnot who stream their games and do stuff like that. But um, for me, the streaming thing, you mentioned it being an acting exercise. And my whole thing is I create my game and I, I'm going to use this term, but it gets kind of politicized all the time. My, my table's a safe space. My table's a fun place where you can come and be stupid and we can do some stuff that we could probably get in trouble and be blackmailed for. And uh, like, but that's the thing. We're here. It's us. It's an imaginary world. Go for it. I think it, my, my, my thing about answer to the stream things, I know, uh, because I don't think that it would be the same game anymore. I think the idea of like being criticized, mm, yeah, the idea of being like criticized or judged or knowing that a camera's on, like I don't have real acting experience. I'm just a faker, but something about like putting a light on, like even trying to fake laugh, which I do in my DM games all the time. I had to fake laugh once for a, a voice thing. Man, it took me like 55 takes because I don't know, like, how do you fake laugh like my brain just somehow couldn't let go and I feel like that's also what would happen if, if I had to stream something I would just get conscious and I don't want to do that I want to come to a place where I'm comfortable I know the people here I can go as crazy as I want and well it's, go for it. it really is about what you're willing to do so everyone needs different prep work so if you wanted to stream a game your prep work would be how do I a keep my game uh, to the point where I'm not going to get blackmailed uh, and and, and, and B, you know, practice being comfortable in front of a camera. Other people might need other things to practice, but anything, you know, if you're going to stream your game, you have to approach it with even more preparation than you would for a normal game. And I think that for me, at least for me personally, I just don't have the time to mm -hmm. do that, um, nor the desire to do it. Yeah. 
And, you know, that's something I don't think is ever going to change. And I'll probably it's only going to even get bigger and bigger streaming is in regards to RPGs. And I'm pretty sure somebody's creating an RPG system now with streaming in mind. So, Oh, of course they are. And look, it's great yeah. that there are things out there that people can watch, that they enjoy. If you want to watch people play D&D on your computer or your tablet or your phone instead of watching, you know, the latest AMC show, who cares? All right. It's just... Everyone has the same amount of time and people fill it with the things they want to fill it with. And if you want to fill it with streaming, go for it. I think it's great that there's an avenue for you to watch the thing that you really are passionate about. I, I, I think in that regard, it's fantastic. And thank you for filling your time with this podcast. Now, Jeff, before you go, if you want to pimp out your social media or talk about things you've done, this is your opportunity. I, I would very much like to thank you for your time in talking to me. It was fantastic. I love talking video uh, video games. I love talking role-playing games. I love talking comic books. I, I just love it all. So if you want to talk to me about any of that stuff, uh, video games, comic books, role-playing games, fitness, acting, whatever you want, you can always find me on Twitter, at TheMightyJerd. Uh, that's usually the best place to reach me on the social medias. Um, if you're interested in podcasting endeavors, I do a podcast with uh, Ryan Day uh, called Geek Fitness Matters. You can also reach us there at GFM Podcast on Twitter and on Facebook as well. Uh, and if you're interested in acting stuff that I do, you can find me on Facebook at Official Jeff Muller. Um, and that is also my website as well, OfficialJeffMuller.com. And for my personal Twitter, it's at Classy underscore Don. The My RPG Podcast on Podbean and My RPG Podcast is also on iTunes. You can find that there. And the Gmail is MyRPGPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and I will see you at the table. <laughs>